glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now that tells us the Lord had withdrawn the evidence of his presence. Be like saying this, my wife's been gone for a long time and I miss her. I need to see her. My child's been gone. They lamented after the Lord. Verse 3, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtoreth, and served the Lord only. In verse 3 and in verse 4, I've circled the word only in my Bible. You'll notice if you want the establishment, for those, just kind of quickly remove some skepticism, for those who are afraid to go to the Old Testament and get instruction for New Testament saints under grace, they use something called dispensationalism to dismiss the instruction of God's Word. Let's not fall prey for that this morning. If you were to read Luke chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 10, uh, the Lord Jesus very clearly instructs us that if we're going to follow Him, we must hate Father, mother, children, uh, houses, lands, and our own life also. You know what he's saying? If you're going to follow me, you're going to serve me only. Only. Some weeks ago I said, it's interesting to me how certain verses have come uh, to my heart and my mind as the Lord directs and leads the church. And I've gone through a number of times the text in Colossians 3. Uh, set your affection, if ye therefore be risen with Christ, set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God, and so forth. First John two fifteen and 16, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And in Matthew six twenty four, where the Bible tells us the Lord Jesus says, You cannot serve God and mammon. You know what Jesus is saying? I want you to serve me only. So Jehovah God of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ of the New Testament and his desire from us toward him is the same. Worship toward God is when I serve him only. And we understand this in the marriage relationship. I use my wife and I as an example to start with. So we understand that if I said, you know, Jenny Beth, I, I am going to love you when it comes to the love in my heart for a woman, you're going to get 98% of it. I'll only give 2% to somebody else. Now, I really want you to stay with me this morning because I'm convinced there are living, breathing bodies in this room today that God gets 98% of your heart. Maybe 99, maybe 50. Many feel we're doing God a favor if we give him 55% of our heart. But he says, only. And you know what's the scary thing? We hear that, and something inside of us says, well, pretty demanding, isn't it? How would you like your mate to say that to you? I expect you to be faithful to me and our marriage relationship 100% of the time. 
Well, pretty demanding, isn't it? By the way, there's a lot of people that do live their marriages that way today. They have an agreement to be unfaithful to each other. You know why? Because that's their agreement with God. I will serve you when it is inside my agenda. And when it's not, then I'll do something else. Now, the children of Israel had been purchased by God out of Egypt, brought out. They would still be slaves, probably extinct as a nation had God not delivered them. But he did. He not only delivered them, he brought them through the wilderness, taught them that he could be trusted, gave them victory over their enemies, and soon they quit serving him and started serving wood, stone, and gold. Say, boy, I'm glad we don't have idols in America. Ha, ha, ha. Our idols have four wheels, sometimes convertible tops. You think about it. What are idols made of? Wood, stone, gold, and silver. American idols are the same thing. We just live in them and drive them and put them in our wallets. Make no mistake, America, the United States of America is as idolatrous as Burma or any other uh, idolatrous nation. The problem with ours is we have masked it under self-care, under we just want to have a good life. We call it the American dream or the American way. And it is earthly things are primary. Money is what you need the most of because that's what keep, that's what gives your children a good education. You know what we're saying? Money guarantees wisdom. Money gives security. Big money means a big military, which means nobody can hurt us. That's something. On September 11, 2001, did we have what would have been the strongest military in the United States? And thank God our money and our military defended us. Oh, oops, it did not, actually. So what have we done? We've doubled down, spent more money, talked about more military, and we're weaker today than we were 20 years ago. Because we have a God. And you hear, you hear leadership today talk about education and it's money. Look, we are spending thousands upon thousands of dollars on trying to make our children wise. Suicide rates are at an all-time high. They are. You can say what you want. My point is this. All I want to do is play for just a second at the introduction of this. Can I play and pretend like Elijah for a minute? We're crying out to Baal. Why is he not answering? America is as wealthy as she's ever been and as miserable and as divided as we've ever been since probably the Civil War, if not more so. Are you with me? Our gods don't work for us. And so I'm not preaching a message to America, by the way. I'm just trying to say, let's look at the land and then let's start getting a little bit closer to home and asking ourselves today, Am I serving the Lord only? Now, what does that mean to serve the Lord only? It's not hard really to comprehend. I think pretty quickly we grasp in our conscience. When you serve someone, someone else determines how your life will be lived and spent. Someone else uh, is given reverence as an authority in your life to determine what your task will be in life to determine how you will carry that out and how you'll be compensated for it. And so then, am I allowing God alone to direct my life or am I letting other things make those decisions for me? Today, and even as in the Bible days, the gods represented different things. There were gods of, of weather, gods of power, gods of pleasure. They seemed to have two gods that were taking their hearts off of the living God 
in Israel in this day. It was Baal or Balaam and Ashtoreth. And if I understand Scripture correctly, Baal was supposedly a god of great power who could control the weather and control plagues. That's why Elijah prayed for the rain to be withdrawn for three years and God answered to show Baal is no god. He doesn't control those things. Ashtoreth is the same as I understand as Ishtar, where we get the name Easter, the god of fertility or the god of sensual pleasure. You can see where Israel's heart was, pursuing pleasure and pursuing uh, peace in their day, if you would. We want a life free of disruption. I'm going to tell you something. You know what's got people so scared today? It is the fear that our, our precious lives might be disrupted by some affliction. And so we're going to manage everything. We're going to manage all our afflictions away. We're going to take control of the climate so that we don't have hurricanes and so that we don't have tornadoes and so we don't have wildfires. Look at, you know what? It's working wonderfully. I want want a reminder. Man does not control the weather. God does. Period. I don't care what men who claim to be scientists say. Say, preacher, you don't believe in science. I do believe in science. They do not. Science is tested and proven and can be challenged. What they are preaching is science falsely so-called because when you say, wait a minute, your facts don't... No, don't challenge us. We have spoken. It's idolatry. It's what's so wrong about so much that's gone around with COVID is fear has been fomented by many a lie. There's enough truth mixed in. COVID is a real disease. We know that. It has real effects on us and on our culture. But much of the effects you're seeing, the fear in the heart of man, the trepidation to say good morning to someone, hello, is not based on fact, but is based on facts that have been abused, twisted, misused. And we're at bowing, bowing at, the, at, the, uh, at, at an idol's feet today, say, make all the afflictions go away. I believe that's what Israel is doing. Do you know why? Look at I do believe. A number of the things that are, I believe America is absolutely full sway under the judgment of God. I believe that as much as I'm standing here. If we're not, then <laughs> a lot of things don't make sense. And so I believe that today what we are seeing as, you, you think about this, just bear with me for just a few more minutes as I try to establish that by and large as a nation, we've turned our heart from believing that if you fear God, God is worthy to be feared. And I'm not believing that our nation ever fully, everybody believed that. I'm not naive enough to believe that. But what's sad to me, I suppose, is that the mentality that's in our nation is much in our churches, very likely even in this room. And so then the fact of the matter becomes this. Uh, we are looking to someone other than God to protect us, to provide for us, to direct us, uh, to govern us. Uh, we are not serving the Lord, meaning we're not doing His will We're often doing our own and looking to some other source for the things that only God can provide. And Israel found themselves in that place. I began to say, you think about the removal of anything that represents God, the God of the Bible, from our public school system. And you tell me where much of our heartache in our nation has come over the last 20 to 25 years. Out of our schools. How many school shootings have we had since 1963? And how many do we have prior to then? It seems to me, if we would step back and say, we said to God, you know what, we will trust ourselves to educate and protect our children and make sure they turn out to be productive citizens. And we don't really have time for a God that wants to be served. I so have the sense that God has said, okay. 
in our churches. We've said, Lord, we see your pattern for the home. But your pattern for the home is hard on us economically. And so we're not going to follow your pattern for the home. We've got a better idea. If everybody earns as much money as they can, we can have all the stuff we want, and then we'll really be happy. And happiness, you know, is the ultimate goal of man. And so we've seen, Lord, as Christians, how you want our homes to be conducted and structured. But we want money more than we want your fellowship. And, Lord, we know and see that in church, in the New Testament, preaching the gospel is primary, but... That doesn't bring as many folk in and we want a more exciting program and we want to have a name among our community so people know who we are. And so we know that preaching is to be primary and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we're going to still call it that, but we're really going to do what they're doing to get their attention. We're, look, Lord, we don't really need the Spirit of God's direction. We've got planning. We've got intellect. We've got ingenuity. We can do church without the help of the Spirit of God. We don't have to pray much. Look how well we're doing without prayer meetings. And when we do have prayer meetings, we'll go through the routine. That's fine. But why pray? We're packing a building without prayer. Uh, why? It's really, it is, it is, it's, we've subtly forsaken God because look, can, can we see in the New Testament God has an idea of how church should be? And I'm talking about what should be central, that Christ should be preeminent, that the Word of God should be taught and preached, and that the evangelization is our relationship to the world, and edification and, and, and teaching God's Word is, and fellowship is our relation to each other, that we may go out and be light and salt, and all by and large in our churches, that's been a, God's template for the home by Christians has been abandoned. We talk about the world playing role reversal, men trying to be women and women trying to be men. Look at friend, that's in the church. Women saying, I'll be like a man. A man saying, I'll be like a woman. But that's okay. That is caving to the God of the culture. But when we need help, we're going to say, now God, you help me. We need you now. We, we, we ignored you last year, but we need you now. I believe it's where Israel was. They had said to God, let me just remind you where we're at. And that's our first point. The conditions in the place. When I'm talking about place, I mean the land of Israel. In chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, a couple of great servants of God named Hophni and Phinehas led God's people into battle. Uh, anybody else familiar with Hophni and Phinehas? Technically, they were priests. Practically, they were devils. They held the position by birth... But they were godless men. They used the temple as a way to take advantage of their appetites. At the temple, when the offerings would be brought, they would get the choicest cuts of meat for themselves. Their dad, Eli, knew it, and he let it go on without doing anything to stop it. So they were feeding themselves with the worship of God. Does that sound familiar? They're using the house of God to consume upon their own lust so they could better themselves, and while Eli was no Hophni or Phinehas, he allowed them to go unchecked. He knew what was going on. God warned him, and he allowed them to continue in their uh, their way. They they used the temple and the gate uh, to commit adultery. They were wicked men, and yet these are the people that led God's people into battle. And when they did, they had this mentality. God meets with us at the ark, uh, at 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 the mercy seat, on the ark of the covenant. So if we grab God and take him with us to battle, we'll win. Is there something wrong with that picture? They're directing God. God's not directing them. And that's what they did. 
they said, we'll grab the Ark of the Covenant. They thought of God as a, a magic token that you take to give you power. So we'll grab God, the mercy seat. We'll take that in the, into, the, into battle. And by the way, their scheme worked for a while. They got a big following. They got a lot of the Israelites to come out. The Israelites got so excited about going to battle, taking God with them. We take God with us. Where we decide we'll go to battle, we'll decide we'll beat the Philistines today, and we'll grab God and bring him with us. And they took God along on his little trip to battle, and they get out there, and the Israelites were so excited that the earth trembled, the Bible said. And the Philistines were filled with fear and said, Oh, no, God is among them. But guess what? It was simply a simulation of God. God was not among them. They were so excited. How many of you know this? You can mistake human excitement for the moving of the Spirit of God. You can mistake human organization for the moving of the Spirit of God. It's what happened in 1 Samuel 4. The Hophni and Phinehas, good organizers, they got people together. They had a token of God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat, and had everybody convinced that God was on their side, but God was not because of the sin in the lives of those two men. And little did they know God was setting them up for defeat. And so then they go into battle, 1 Samuel chapter 4, and the condition in the place and the condition in the land is that Israel was in a defeated state. The Philistines got the upper hand on that day. The Philistines said, look, quit yourselves like men. Show yourselves men today. Go fight these Israelites. And they captured the Ark of the Covenant. They captured the very place, this mercy seat where God had promised through the priestly order to meet with His people. The world captured it. Listen to me, please. Do you know how the world captures our secret place with God? By Satan getting sin into our lives, defiling us, getting us out of fellowship with God. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about trying to... Here's the, here's the two priests, Hophni and Phinehas, pretending to serve God while actually serving their own sinful, wicked flesh. And it exposed God's people to great defeat. And so they were defeated. Uh, that's the first condition you find. Chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, verse 1. Let me read this. And the Philistines took the ark of God, and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. You know what they did? The Philistines did this over and over. They are proving our God is more powerful than your God. So they had Dagon. They got the ark of the covenant that represented the God of Israel. And guess what it looks like? it would appear that Dagon's more powerful because they won the battle. Has anybody noticed the world is often overcoming God's people? Say, Pastor, you're such a negativist. <laughs> this is where we live, friend. The world's philosophy and the pressures of the world are causing many of God's people to say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done trying to obey God. I'm done trying to serve God. Uh, and they lose their prayer life. They lose their communion with God. The nation of Israel went 20 long years without hearing anything from God because they lost in battle, and the Ark of the Covenant was removed. They lost. At that time, the worship was established in one place. Now, that's not true for us. Each of us are saved in the temple of the Holy Ghost, but how many know you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Is it possible to grieve and quench Him for 20 years? How many know that Abraham... Abraham himself, if I'm not mistaken, went 13 years without fellowship with God. 
Are we aware of that? From 86 to 99, after he took Hagar to be his wife and conceived a child with her, my understanding is 13 years he and God did not have communion. If they did, it's not recorded in Scripture. My point is this. The nation of Israel is living in defeat, uh, and they were devoid of any evidence of the Lord's presence. There was nothing in their life that said, God is among us. They, they weren't reminded. They didn't see the cloud on the tabernacle. The priest didn't come out and say, today I offered blood. How, how, 20 years, as I understand it, there was supposed to be blood applied to the mercy seat every year on behalf of the people. Every year they went without a reminder that a substitute had been taken in their place. There was no semblance of the Lord in their lives at all. They were a nation that had been purchased by God, established by God, defended by God, but without any evidence that he was anywhere near. The Bible says the time was long. That's what chapter 7 says. The time was long, uh, verse 2. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim that the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Because what happened is the Philistines got the ark after their victory, and because God is still the God of the Ark of the Covenant, he, began, he knocked Dagon over. And, they, and then the land of the Philistines, they trusted Dagon to, to protect them from affliction. And in that period of time, they got uh, mice and emeralds in their land. Thousands of men died because God judged them for treating him like a, a false god. By the way, how many of us notice this pattern in our world today? We talk about people of faith. People of faith. So there are people of faith. There's people of the Christian faith. There's people of the Muslim faith. There's people of the Buddhist faith. There's people of the Islamic faith. And we respect all faith. Do you realize what we just did? We took the Lord Jesus off his throne in heaven. We set him right down on the shelf next to Buddha. Now, do you really think Jehovah God, who sent his son to this earth, is going to put up with that? He is long-suffering. He is merciful. But his son is not a God on a shelf. He's the living creator who died in our place and raised from the dead. Here's what I find. Christians doing the same thing. Well, pastor, I want to be a good Christian. I want to be loving. I wouldn't want to show more respect to my own faith than someone else's. Well, why not? Our faith is in the truth. We have the Word of God. We have a living Savior. No other faith has a living Savior. We do. (laughs) And my point is this today. The condition in this place is they're defeated. The nation of Israel was not hearing from the Lord. There was no communion with God. The time was long. And the Bible says they did something that was good. They lamented after the Lord. I believe some people said, boy, wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be good to hear from God again? Wouldn't it be good for the Lord to remind us again that we're his people? Do you remember how he led our forefathers across the Red Sea? Where's the Lord? Well, his ark's down there in Kirjath Jirah, but we've not had a priest go in. And Remember, the priest was the go-between. Picture Jesus Christ. No communion with God, and they lamented after the Lord. Now listen, I'm not preaching to you this morning that if you're saved, the Lord will literally withdraw his presence from your life. I am telling you, you can quench him and grieve him so that there's not evidence of him in your life. But the question would be, how did they get in this position? I believe we've seen their problem. The condition in the place is that they're defeated by their enemy. The Philistines, a picture of the world, had the upper hand and were actually controlling the Israelites. They were devoid of the presence of the Lord because they were defiled with idolatry. The Bible says in verse 3, after these people lament after the Lord, and Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, 
Prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Lord. Philistines, question. You might catch something there, what Samuel says. If ye do, return unto the Lord. Do you know what he's saying? The Lord never left you. You left Him. Hebrews 13, verse 5. The Bible says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Draw nigh to God. Who has the first step? We do. Your Savior, if your Savior never left you, never will leave you. But you can walk out of fellowship with Him. If you walk into the dark out of the light, I mean, you walk out of the revelation of God's Word into your own imaginations, your own thoughts, your own ideas, your own conclusions, you're out of fellowship with God. And Samuel's saying, look, the Lord did not leave you. When the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant, they didn't steal the Lord. When you turned your hearts after idols, you left Him. I mean, know this, there are two people living in the same home that left each other long ago. Two people, do they have to physically live in a different house to leave each other? No, let me tell you something. In a marriage, and I'll just keep picking on me and my wife. I can live with my wife, I've been married for 21 years, but I could start leaving her today. You tell me how. The moment I start showing heart interest in any other woman, I've left her. Do you think if she knows I have interest in another woman, it is going to affect our relationship? Now, if you have, listen to me here this morning, please don't miss this. If you have interest in any other master, in serving, giving your time, affection, and attention to anyone other than God, to serve the purpose of another, do you think God notices? That's when we leave the Lord. When we set our affection on things below and not on things on the earth, when, on, on things above. When we set our affection on money, when we set our affection on physical pleasures, when we set our affection on earthly power and earthly name and earthly reputation. Know this, that's when we depart from the Lord and they were defiled by idolatry. Idolatry is this, when anything has the place in my heart that only God should have. When my success is more important to me than God's will. When my name is more important to me than God's name when my pleasure is more important to me than His approval, when man's uh, uh, applause is more important to me than God's pleasure, then I have idolatry in my heart, and that's where defeat comes from. When the children of Israel went into battle without the presence of the Lord, they were doomed to defeat. And when I go into spiritual conflict and God does not have 100% of my heart, I'm going to lose. I'm going to cave and I'll lose. And so then the condition of the place was God's people were defeated. They were devoid of the presence of the Lord. They were defiled, and that's why the command that is given by the prophet. So we see in verses uh, 1 and the chapters I've described previously, the condition land, how they got there. But in chapter 7, verse 3, Samuel speaks and says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return to the Lord, me, you lament after the Lord, you're going to have to go His way with, uh, with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and asterisk from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only. And then it says, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Let's say my wife and I will just continue to pick on us. Let's say we become estranged and I move out of the house and 
I say, man, I really miss my wife. I, I miss our conversations. I miss, uh, I miss her uh, affection. I miss her uh, delight in, in my coming home. And I say, Jenny Beth, I would really, I come her way. I come there and I say, I would really like to patch things up. I really want things to be the way they used to. I want to be able to sit down and have a meal with each other without you having such animosity toward me. And she says, well, I'm willing to have that. And I say, well, then can, 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 can I come back home? And she says, well, I, I, I think that would be okay. Not because she's the boss, but because I've offended her by sinning against her. And I say, okay, I'll tell what's her name to pack her bags. We'll start moving in this evening. Huh? This is many people's idea of getting right with God. I'll keep my covetousness, my love for things. I'll keep my lust, my love for sensual pleasure. I'll keep my love for a future that means I'm going to be a big shot and people notice me and I'm going to do my thing that I want God and me to get along to. So God, me and my covetousness and me and, and my sensual lust, we're coming back to fellowship with you. God says, no, when I saved you, I saved you from that. I saved you from a life of idolatry. I saved you from a life of drunkenness and fornication and adultery and uncleanness and lasciviousness. I did not save you so you could serve the gods of sensual pleasure. I did not save you so that you could serve the gods of the God of money. I saved you so you could serve me, what you were created to do in the first place. Amen? We say, well, I'll bring those things and we'll be back in fellowship. And Lord, I want answered prayers. Lord, I want the assurance of my salvation. Lord, I want that peace that passes all understanding. Those things only come directly from God, you know. But I'm going to hang on to the things that are competing with you for my heart. I'm going to hang on to the lust of my flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You know what the first thing God tells Israel? He says, if you're going to return to me, then you've got to do it with all your heart. None of this will, I'll try serving God. And if that doesn't work, then I'll try serving myself again. No? No, that doesn't work. He says, if you're going to return, you've got to do it with all your heart. And so then, we find the possibility in the command. Let's look at it this way. Verse 3, And Samuel speaking to all the house of Israel, saying, and there's a big word there, and it's only two letters long, it says, If. If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. What he's saying is there's only one way to return unto the Lord. It's with all your hearts. But the word if means what? This is a potential, but it's not a done thing. That says it's your decision. It's your decision. Let me put it to you this way. Someone says, this afternoon, I'm going to take a trip to Sandpoint. I don't know how to get there. So are you sure you're going to Sandpoint? You're like, well, uh, maybe. But I also was thinking about driving over to Libby. So, well, you can get to Sandpoint from Libby. You can, but you have to go to Sandpoint first and then Libby or the other way. But they're not on the same path, right? Well, maybe I'll do that. I'll tell you what I think. Maybe I'll go into Canada. I want to go to Sandpoint, but I want to go to Canada. Well, which do you want to do? Well, I would rather go to Sandpoint. Well, if you're going to go to Sandpoint, then you're going to have to make up your mind to go to Sandpoint because if you're still thinking about going to Canada, you'll never get to Sandpoint on your way to Canada. Are you with me this morning? Well, if you're going to serve the Lord, then you've got to do it with all your heart. You've got to make up your mind. I'm going to serve God. Quit tiptoeing around whether or not you're going to do God's will. Make up your mind if that's what you're going to do. 
But it's your choice. That's what Samuel's saying. It is really, it's your choice. If you're going to return to the Lord, you lament after the Lord. You want Him. You want His presence. You want His assurance. You want His protection. You want God Himself. That's good. But if you're going to return to Him with all your heart, if you make that choice, then this is what has to be done to fulfill that choice. If you're going to go to Sandpoint, somebody says, okay, Canada or Sandpoint. So, well, if you're going to go to Sandpoint, you're going to have to get on Highway 95 and go south, not north. Someone says, I don't like traveling south. I enjoy traveling north. Well, more power to you. But I really want to go to Sandpoint. Well, if you're going to go to Sandpoint, <laughs> you get it? You've got to make the decision where you're going. But if this is where you're going, this is the only way to get there. Samuel says, if you're going to return to the Lord with all your heart, then the first thing you have to do is put away the strange gods. You've got to get rid of that which is taking his place. You can't, there is not room in your heart for worship of God and living for self at all in the same place. You cannot do both. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. May I say this morning, Every person in this room is either serving money or God. No one is serving both. Every person in this room either loves God or loves the world. Say, no, 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 I think there's a, I think there's a category in between. There is not. There is not. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Amen. And so then this morning, if you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to return to the Lord, that's a possibility. You have the liberty to return to the Lord. James 4 again. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you're not in fellowship with God this morning as a saved person, somewhere he revealed his will to you and you said, no, I'm going to do this instead. And you served another God when you did that. Anytime I've sinned, it's because I've said, no, you know what? I really think this would make me happier than what you're telling me to do, God. And therefore, I'm going to do this instead of what you said. I do not, I do not even doubt there are consciences in this room that know where you know the will of God and said no. But it's your choice if you're going to go back and say, Lord, I chose another God over you, my own pleasure my own pride, my own will and way over your will, and I yielded to something other than you back here. And where I did that in my heart and gave my affection to something other than you, Lord, whether it was a trinket, a thing, for many Americans, it's a way of life. If I serve the Lord the way he told me, I'd have to change the entire way I live. I would have to change my values. I would have to change my schedule. I would have to change... I mean, if I actually obeyed everything God told me to do, my goodness, preacher, I'd lose friends. Yeah? That's exactly what Jesus said. It's exactly what he said. But if you're going to serve him, you have to get rid of whatever you've been serving instead of him. If I'm serving the God of comfort, if I'm serving the God of pleasure, if I'm serving the God of money, whatever it may be, I've got to say, I'm done serving that. And Lord, I'm going to serve you. And so then, the possibility command, if we have the choice, but there are prerequisites in the command, if you're going to return, you have to put away the strange gods, 
and Ashtoreth from among you. That tells you they had strange gods, things they were serving other than God. And then he says, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord. That word prepare simply means to set the heart, to get it firmly fixed. I want to ask you this this morning before we conclude in just a moment. Has there ever been a point in your mind, in your conscience, you said, that is when I decided only God is going to be my master? Not the fear of, not, not the approval of men, so not other, not other people, not my own lust, not my will and way, not the way of the world. Only Jesus Christ is going to master me. I read of an old pastor years ago, and he would tell his church on a regular basis, I will gladly be your servant, but you shall never be my master. Chew on that one for a few minutes. I will gladly be your servant, but you'll never be my master. Why could he say that? Because we have only one master. One. How I treat my wife is however Jesus tells me to. However I treat my children is exactly how my master tells me to. How I love you and what I preach to you is what my master tells me to. How I conduct myself in a lost world, that's his business. And if they like me, great. If they hate me, I don't like that, but I have to do what my master says. I only have one master. We'd have one master. Not many masters. When we have many masters, we have many gods. If the consensus of the community is our master, then really our pride is our god. If how it makes me feel is my master, then my lust is my god. But if the word of God is my master, then God is my god. And Samuel says, if you're going to return to the Lord with all your heart, that's a possibility. You can, but you have to put away the things that have taken his place, the things that you love over him, the things that you give time to that's supposed to go to him. Say, how can I know if I have an idol in my life? What steals your Bible reading time? What robs you of prayer? What keeps you out of the house of God? What keeps you from investing in what the Lord cares about? And I'm talking about with your time and your resources. What is it that's more important to you than the things of the Lord? And I've just mentioned a few things. These are the things of the Lord. The Bible is his word. Prayer is where we have communion, fellowship. The church is his people. It's his body. So this is why we reference it. These are the things of the Lord. The furtherance of the gospel. What keeps me from opening my mouth and giving the gospel? Now, they may not be a God yet, but if they consistently keep me from obeying God, something else is my God. Something else is telling me how to live my life. And we'll find it when we study those things down. The possibility of the command, if you're going to, the prerequisites, then you must put away the false gods and ashtoreth and uh, prepare your heart, meaning you have to make a heart decision that's fixed and established, meaning I'm not going to change my mind. I've made up my mind. I'm going to serve the Lord. I began to ask you, has there been a time when you say, you know what, I, I prepared my heart to seek the Lord and to serve Him. I made the decision in my heart, yes, I will, I will serve the one who died for me. I will, I will obey Him. I believe you have to prepare your heart. Let's give my children a devotion. We're almost done. The Bible says Rehoboam did that which was evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. He never came to a time where he says, you know what? I want the Lord's will in my life, and I want his approval on my life, and I'm, I'm going to seek him and do his will. That's what prepare means. It doesn't mean to make all these lavid preparations. It means you made a fixed decision in your heart. I'm going to serve him. By the way, does he want you to? Do you have liberty to? Unless you've not been born again. But if you, even if you've not been born again, you have liberty to. He'll save you, set you free so you can serve him. But you have to prepare your heart to do that. And then finally, there's the promise. You notice this, God doesn't promise victory until the prerequisites are met. He says this in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. 
He says, uh, put away the strange gods and asterisk from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only then, colon, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Here's what often we want. We want to keep our affection on the things that are against God and we want him to deliver us from the Philistines. Because we're Americans, we should always have the best of every world. God says it does not work that way. And by the way, what we're preaching this morning is about victory, not about how to get saved. I'm trying to tell you this morning, say, I want to have victory. I want to overcome temptation. I don't want to conform to the world and my life to be defeated in sin and to end my life saying, my goodness, I've heaped up treasure that's eaten up with moths and rust and all these things. I don't want to be on my deathbed and say, man, I wish I'd served God. We have to serve the Lord, Keyword. only. May I say this? This is our Savior's line in the sand when it comes to discipleship. It is his line in the sand. If we are going to try to serve him and let our family life master us at the same time, we've heard the term family first. Friend, that's not true. Christ above all. Christ above all. Well, leisure first. Christ above all. No, no. Christ, Christ, Christ. He is the commander of the life. Serve him only. Then the Bible says, then he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Victory comes from Christ owning 100% of my heart. Saying, I'm not going to serve him and serve other things. I'm not going to serve him and idols. And so there's a promise attached to the command. It says, if you're going to, if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to return to the Lord, this is how you have to return. You have to leave your false gods behind. You have to leave your extra wives behind. You've got to abandon them. Quit maintaining those adulterous relationships. Come back to the Lord, serve Him only, and then He'll give you the victory. And then finally, the consecration of the people. I love this very simple verse. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtoreth and serve the Lord only. They got a hold of something a lot of American Christians never have. God put a condition and a promise before Him, and they took Him up on it. And by the way, you know what the rest of chapter 7 is? Have you ever heard of the stone Ebenezer? If you've not, you ought to read the rest of chapter 7. They put up a stone because God gave them such a victory over the Philistines. Uh, Samuel would offer a lamb and pour out some water or some blood that was shed, meaning it was a picture that the people had sinned and they needed a substitutionary. He took them back just like us, go back to the cross where Christ died for you and the washing of the water of his word made you clean. That's what will draw you back near to God, realizing that that what, what Christ did for you on the cross and you died to that idolatrous old life and chapter 7, the whole rest of it about, is about victory over the Philistines. You know why? Because they took God at his word. And I challenge and encourage you this morning. I believe there's probably, <laughs> this room is full of people this morning saying, I want victory. I want to be victorious. I want the, I want the abundant Christian life. I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want to see God working and moving in my life. But may I say this? If that's the case, then we must apply James 4, 7 and 8. We must submit ourselves to God. We must not honor our own conclusions over the instruction of His Word. And Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. How? By serving the Lord only. Here's what serving the Lord only is. The only thing that has a final determining factor over my decisions is what he says. 
And if he says it, and it's clear what he wants, there are no other options on the table. I mean, there's no. Sadly today, many a Christian life is riddled with knowing what the Word of God says and finding another answer. Knowing the will of our Savior, knowing it, and saying, but I'm not going to do what he wants. I, and we, we have all kinds of reasons or excuses. But you know what the people said? We're going to serve the Lord only. Meaning only God is going to master our lives. Nothing from within, nothing from without, only the Lord. Let me ask you this this morning. If the Lord were to start testifying of us today, and I'm not trying to heap guilt on any of us, I want us to see a clear picture that there is a victory for the Christian. But there are conditions that must be met first. It's consecration. The unconsecrated Christian will never have victory. The person who's still trying to pursue their lust, how can I please my own flesh and please the Lord? The person who's still trying to make the world like us and live for the Lord, can't happen. That's duplicity. If we want the victory, we've got to be single-minded people serving the Lord only. If the Lord were to testify of us today, would he say, my word has the final say in their life. They're only serving me, not their lust, not the world, certainly not the devil. If not today, is this a message of hopelessness? Or is there an if for us as well? We feel like, well, this is where we are. Is there not an if? Is revival possible in America today? Is, there, is it possible in this room today? If we'll yield our will. The battle is in the will, not in the mind. It's in the will. You know what service is? And we conclude here. It is me yielding my will to another. Everyone here today is yielding our will to somebody. Is it the Lord alone? Or is it somebody or something else? Mm-hmm.